We are currently in the middle of a sermon series titled, The Advent of I Am. And this is aimed at examining the seven I Am statements of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of St. John. The goal is to understand these statements in light of Jesus's first advent when he took on flesh and became the God-man in the incarnation. The seven I am statements of Jesus are as follows. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. This morning's text is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 33, and this morning we will consider two statements. I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. And as I preach, I want to answer two questions. First, what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. And then second, I want to answer the question, how are you and I to respond to Jesus' self-revelation as the gate and as the good shepherd? So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 33. I'm going to read that text and then pray a prayer of illumination. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeepers open. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, 
and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you, do, are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Bow your head with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reveal to us the significance and importance of Jesus' words here in John chapter 10. By the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to rightly understand them and live in light of them. Amen. As I've already noted throughout this series, there was a 400-year period between the close of the Old Testament and the advent of Jesus. Bible teachers refer to this as the intertestamental period. Some have referred to this as the silent age because this was a 400-year time in which God did not communicate with his people through the prophetic office. And so the term silent age can create in our minds the wrong impression that these 400 years were peaceful and uneventful. When in reality, during this time, Palestine was anything but tranquil and quiet. As prophesied by the prophet Daniel, following the Babylonian Empire, four different kingdoms would take control over Palestine prior to the advent of Jesus. The Persian kingdom was in power over Judea from 539 BC to 334 BC. In 539 BC, Cyrus of Persia defeated the Babylonians, which represents the silver chest in arms in Daniel chapter 2. And the 400 years of silence began under the Persian kingdom, as Nehemiah, Ezra, and Malachi were contemporaries of Cyrus. The Greek Empire then ruled over the area of Israel from 334 BC to 324 BC. In Daniel chapter 2, Alexander the Great represents the midsection and thighs made of bronze. Then the Hellenistic age of the Macedonian dynasties lasted from 323 BC to 63 BC. And Alexander the Great's four prominent generals ruled over Egypt and the Mediterranean following his death. And the two legs of iron described by Daniel in chapter 2 represent the Macedonian dynasties of Ptolemy and Seleucus, who both ruled over Judea. Then in 63 BC, 
the Roman Empire took control over the region of Jerusalem, depicted as the feet made of iron and clay. And during this regime, the 400 years of silence ended as John the Baptist came forward as God's prophet promised in Malachi. And the last 175 years of the intertestamental period were the most formative in shaping the culture and society of Judea during the time of Christ's life. It was at this point in history that the famous Maccabean revolt took place, which established the Hasmonean dynasty. Also, during this late period of the 400 years of silence, the religious leaders of Israel became very political with both the Seleucid Empire and the Roman Empire. All sorts of deals and concessions were made by the religious leaders of Israel as a means of personal gain and advancement. And this is clearly seen by Ezekiel's prophecy against the spiritual leaders of Israel in chapter 34 of Ezekiel. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. The religious leaders of Jesus's day were both wicked and self-serving as described here in Ezekiel 34. And as we've already observed during this time, the rise of rabbinical teaching came into vogue and with it all sorts of extra biblical law was created by the Pharisees and imposed upon the people. This left God's people feeling burdened, heavy laden, as well as hungry and thirsty for true righteousness. We've also noted that this period was also spiritually grim. The religious shepherds should have been beacons of light. Yet leading up to the advent of Christ, the biblical authors described the world as dark. By the time of Jesus' advent, there was a commonly shared frustration with the religious and political leaders of Palestine, particularly those who were ruling in Jerusalem. And so it is with this backdrop of frustration with the shepherds of Israel that Jesus steps 
onto the scene in the advent of his earthly ministry and says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. So let's consider verses 7 through 10 of John chapter 10 in order to answer the first question. What did Jesus mean when he said, I am the gate? So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. but The sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Picking up on the metaphor from Ezekiel chapter 34, Jesus refers to himself as the door or the gate of the sheep. And the ESV chooses to translate the Greek noun thura as door, but the word can also mean gate or simply entryway. And so given Jesus's use of the word in context with sheep and shepherds, I've chosen to translate thura as gate, seeing that it fits the scene more appropriately at least in my own mind. So through the sermon, you'll hear me use the word gate. But to fully grasp what Jesus means by the gate, we need to realize that the first 10 verses of John chapter 10 are actually an illustration that Jesus uses to explain the spiritual realities of events that took place in the previous chapter. And so here's a recap. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath who was born blind for the sake of God's glory. The Pharisees, already being angry with Jesus, cast the man out of the synagogue, socially ostracizing him for identifying as a follower of Jesus. Hearing that this man had been persecuted, Jesus found him and revealed himself as the Christ, the Son of Man, God incarnate. The man then confessed his faith in Jesus and worshiped, fulfilling the purpose of the miracle that God would be glorified. Jesus then pronounced judgment on the Pharisees for their actions, their unbelief, their wicked leadership, and their attempt to rob God of glory. So with all of that, we can identify the key people in Jesus's illustration here at the beginning of John chapter 10. The man born blind is a sheep who belongs to Jesus's fold. He does not listen to the strange voice of the Pharisees, but instead only follows Jesus. The thieves and the robbers are the Pharisees. They, like their father, the devil, are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy for their own profit and gain. And Jesus is the gate who provides salvation and safety from the thief and robbers. And using this gate illustration, Jesus says two things about himself here in John chapter 10. First, as the gate, Jesus says that he provides salvation for everyone who comes to him in faith. In verse nine, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The logical question that follows is then, save from what? 
in the immediate context and within the entire scope of St. John's Gospel, Jesus provides salvation from sin, Satan, and death. With that, it's important to understand the functional use of the gate. A gate is designed to keep bad things out and good things in. We do this every night when we shut and lock the doors of our houses. We keep our children in, and we keep the bad guys out. In this illustration, the gate effectively keeps the thieves out and the sheep in. The gate discriminates between good and evil, faith and unrighteousness. And what we need to see is that the gate is the exclusive way into salvation. Jesus alone is the gate, or you might say he is the sole entry point into salvation. And the gate opens to those who come in faith. But for those who come with their own good works or their own self-righteousness, the gate remains shut. Second, as the gate, Jesus says that he not only provides salvation, but also security for the souls of all those who come to him in faith. Again, in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This idea of pasture is a picture of provision and safety, very much like what we read in Psalm 23. The good shepherd leads beside still waters and into green pastures while his rod and staff provide security from wolves and thieves. The sheep, in Jesus' illustration, are able to go in and out and find pasture because the gate provides safety. The mechanism itself keeps the sheep inside, safe from predators who are on the outside. And this is consistent with Jesus' words later in the chapter, as he talks about the sheep not being able to be snatched out of his father's hands. And in John chapter 6, verse 39, Jesus said this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus not only saves us from sin, Satan, and death, but he also keeps our souls secure and will raise them up on the last day. So then, when Jesus says that he is the gate, he is ultimately saying that he is the one who provides salvation and security for the souls of us sheep who need a savior and a shepherd. In the first century, these words would have brought a great deal of comfort to those who were being harassed by spiritual thieves and robbers, who should have been spiritual leaders. Next, let's look at verses 11 through 14 to consider what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd. Again, Jesus continues to use the metaphor found in Ezekiel chapter 34 of sheep and shepherds. He does this by stating that he is the good shepherd, and then by comparing himself to the hired hands. The spiritual and political leaders of Jesus's day were the hired hands depicted in Ezekiel chapter 34. They were supposed to care for the sheep, but they only cared about themselves, thus leading them susceptible to the power of Satan, the wolf. In contrast, here in John chapter 10, Jesus claims to be the one true shepherd of the sheep, Christ, the Messiah. Listen again to Ezekiel chapter 34 and hear God's promise of how he would send his people, the good shepherd, in the context of their being hired hands, leaving the flock susceptible to the wolf. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. What's unique about Ezekiel chapter 34 is the fact that Ezekiel prophesied 400 years after King David lived. And so the references to David in Ezekiel 34 are references to David's bloodline. So when God speaks of David shepherding the sheep, he is talking about David's posterity, his lineage. And Jesus's human nature is in the bloodline of King David. We know this from the genealogies provided in the Gospels. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. In identifying as the good shepherd, Jesus is in fact claiming to be the Messiah, the one who fulfills the Davidic covenant and promise of a shepherd king. He is stating that he is the true shepherd, the true king who genuinely cares for the people. And the ultimate sign of being the true shepherd is found at the end of John chapter 10, verse 11, and the end of verse 15, as Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Bible is clear. All of us, like wandering sheep, have gone astray. We have rebelled and sinned against God, the creator of heaven and earth. And the penalty we deserve for our sin and rebellion is the just wrath of God. But being conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, took on human flesh and became the God-man in the lineage of King David. He lived a sinless life for you and me in our place, 
procuring real righteousness for us through his obedience to God the Father. Jesus then suffered and died on the cross in our place. He laid his life down for the sheep as our substitute. He suffered under the wrath of God and absorbed the penalty you and I deserve for our sin and rebellion. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in bodily form, defeating sin, Satan, and death, defeating the thieves, robbers, and the wolf so that we too will one day rise from the dead unto eternal life with God the Father in heaven. Jesus was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses and then ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling as the true shepherd king, being the archetype of King David, the shepherd from Bethlehem. And this is the good news of the gospel. And when we embrace Jesus by grace through faith and repent of our sin and trust in him, we sinners who deserve God's wrath get God's grace. We lost and wandering sheep are brought back into the fold of God's flock. As the good shepherd, Jesus provides eternal life to all who would come to him in faith and believe that he is the Christ who has come to save and secure God's flock. Here in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is saying that he is the Christ, the Messiah. And like no other spiritual leader, Jesus alone displays his true nature as the good shepherd by laying down his life for the sheep. So then, that answers the first question. What does Jesus mean by, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd? In conclusion, let's consider the final question. How are you and I to respond to these self-revelations of Jesus? As he says, I am the gate and says, I am the good shepherd. What are we to do? Well, first, if you are here this morning as a skeptic of Christianity, you have to consider the impressive accuracy and continuity displayed in Holy Scripture. The Bible was written in 66 units by 35 different authors over a period of approximately 1,500 years. And yet, we see exact fulfillment of prophecy that is impossible to contrive. So take, for instance, my reference early in this sermon to Daniel's prophecy. Outside of divine aid, there is no logical way for Daniel to predict the future events of almost 700 years in sequential order. And yet he did. Speaking of the Babylonian Empire, all the way down to the Roman Empire. And he did it with great detail. In chapter 8 of his prophecy, Daniel speaks of Alexander the Great and his four generals. Listen to the descriptions that Daniel uses. He says, then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. 
And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Alexander did become exceedingly great as Daniel prophesied. And it is true, when he was strong, he died at the age of 33, as predicted, being the strongest and most dominant power the world had ever known. And exactly as Daniel prophesied, four generals came to power in his absence. And not only just came to power, but came to power over the entire known world to the four winds. As a skeptic, you need to consider the Bible's consistency with reality, with history, with with its ability to prophesy and also fulfill those prophecies. But also consider the prophecies concerning Jesus. The Messiah was to come from Bethlehem and be of the lineage of David. We see Jesus fitting both of those requirements. And more importantly, Jesus not only fits those requirements, but he claims that he is the Messiah. So again, if you are a skeptic of Christianity, you need to wrestle with the accuracy of prophetic fulfillment in the Bible, along with Jesus' own claims to be the Christ, to be the God-man. Thoughtful consideration is one way to respond to Jesus' self-revelation as the gate and the good shepherd. A second response to Jesus' self-revelation this morning would be one of faith. If you recognize your sinfulness this morning and you see your need for a savior, you understand that you are a sheep caught in a thicket needing a shepherd to pull you out. And the right response is to believe in Jesus as the gate and the good shepherd who alone can save your soul from sin, Satan, and death, who can save you from the thieves and robbers and the wolf. If that's you, come to Jesus in faith this morning. This Advent, if you feel very much like the people of first century Israel, you're fed up and frustrated with the self-serving actions of your political representatives and leaders, then there is another response. And that response is twofold. First, if you've had it with politicians, then don't look to a political party to be your Savior. Instead, look to Jesus Christ and recognize his lordship over all the earth. Sit in the truth and reality that all kings, princes, and palaces serve the purposes and plans of the risen Lord, whether they mean to or not. Jesus Christ is not only the savior of your soul, but he is also the savior of the world. Second, if you're longing for a change in the social and political landscape of this country, don't waste your time and your energy frothing and ranting on social media. Instead, get busy in the practical service of your king. Love your wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church. Honor and respect your husband 
as the church obeys Christ. Teach and discipline your children as your heavenly father instructs you. Obey your father and mother as God has commanded you to do. If you say you are a post-millennialist, then start acting like one. Stop complaining and start working. As we saw in the psalm this morning, Psalm 72, get to the business of the king. Feed the hungry, heal the sick, clothe the naked, and preach the gospel and the coming of the kingdom. This Advent, if you are frustrated with earthly kings, then start serving the one true Davidic shepherd king, the good shepherd. Dear saints, because Jesus is the gate and he is the good shepherd, may you have peace and hope this Advent, not fearing the thieves, robbers, and wolves of your soul, but trusting and knowing that your soul is safe and secure with the good shepherd. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you bow your head with me as we bring our petitions to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning grateful that you have sent Jesus Christ into the world to be our great shepherd king, the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep and rules over us with justice and mercy. We pray, Father, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would know these things to be true and experience this reality, trusting in the sovereignty and goodness of the King whom you have seated on your throne. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.